Morning Sermon Audio is a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. You know, to some extent, I think all of us are skeptics. We have certain doubts and suspicions when people present us with what they say is the truth. Some years ago, my wife and I were in Paris, we were just taking a stroll, and someone came approaching us, picked up a ring from the ground, and said, oh, did you drop this ring? And immediately, my radar was up, I felt for my wallet, make sure it was still there, and I began to be suspicious immediately about what this person was going to try to do. Maybe you've encountered someone like that as well. Also, I often get an email from a terminally ill widow in Oman who says that her husband has about three or four million dollars that he doesn't know what to do with it after he died. So um, they might want to send it to me uh, if I would just send them some money. Of course, as you know as well, uh, you should meet these kinds of emails with a good, healthy measure of skepticism. And then there's this last week, it was announced that a, uh, a televangelist preacher by the name of Jesse Duplantis was certain that uh, God was asking him to purchase a Falcon F7X private jet. God said, I want you to believe for a Falcon F7X. I said, okay, (laughs) quote unquote. The price tag of one of those is $54 million. And he says, I really believe that if Jesus was physically alive today, he wouldn't be riding a donkey. (laughs) Of course, you meet those kinds of things with skepticism, I hope. Kenneth Copeland recently purchased a Gulfstream jet for $36 million, justifying it, because as the two of them are discussing, they simply can't fly or pray with the commercial airline passengers. There's just too much demonic influence among them. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So sometimes a healthy dose of skepticism is a good thing. But sometimes people approach God with a skepticism that is unhealthy, and it prevents them from ever experiencing the blessings that He wants to pour out on their lives. You know, when you share your faith with someone, sometimes you use the four spiritual laws tool. The four spiritual laws, the very first spiritual law is that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. And oftentimes, a skeptic will respond to that statement either with, well, does God even exist? Because maybe all that we see that's natural is all that there is. So they would, they would be skeptic about God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Or is he even in charge of anything? Because look at the mess that the world is in. Or they might even question that statement, is God even good? Because his laws and his commandments are limiting, they're impractical. Or as a skeptic, they might say, how can you say that he even cares about my life? Because I don't feel him, I don't feel anything. So the skeptic will hear that phrase that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life and not believe it. But interestingly enough, I think some of us Christians who do follow Jesus Christ, who know God's love, who have experienced what it means to receive Christ as Lord and Savior, sometimes we even have a hard time with that statement, don't we? Our questions may be different. Our responses to God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life may be a little bit different. We might say, well, I can't see what his plan is for me. I wish he would just tell me. And so we begin to doubt whether or not his plan really is wonderful. 
or he hasn't answered my prayers recently, so how can I know that he loves me? Or his plan means I have to wait for what he has promised, and I don't really want to wait. So we meet that statement with some measure of skepticism. Or why does it feel like he's forgotten or abandoned me? I ask you today, have you ever wavered in your faith? Have you ever been a skeptic in an unhealthy way? That God wants to bless you, He wants to keep His promises for you, and yet what He's asked you to do causes some doubt as to whether or not you really should do it. You know, God tells you to do something by faith, and you ask, well, is that really you, God? You know, where He says, give that treasure to me, and then I'll provide something even better. Or He says to us, rest. And I'll make sure that what you try to accomplish in seven days, you can really accomplish in six. Or he says to us, stay sexually pure, and I'll let you experience what real and lasting pleasure is all about. Or he says to us, forgive, let go of all bitterness, and then I'll set you free. And yet we ask, is that really you, God? Well, God says, it's in my word, as a prescription, a principle, or a promise, and then you ask, yeah, but did I understand it correctly? And God says, well, it's really actually quite plain and simple. And you ask, but can I really trust that you'll keep your end of the bargain? And then he has to ask us, well, have my commandments ever been for evil? Or have I ever backed out of a promise? And so he says to us still, God loves, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Well, today, we're going to see two kinds of doubters, the differences in their demands that, the, that they place on God. If you'll turn in Matthew chapter 16, you'll see that there were the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and then there were Jesus' own disciples. Both expressed some doubt, but from two very different uh, viewpoints, and I hope that you will find yourself more in the camp of the second category rather than the first. I'm going to need some more water. <laughs> Excuse me. So in Matthew chapter 16, beginning in verse 1, the Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, When evening comes, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. And then in verse 5, when they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, It is because we didn't bring any bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and 
Sadducees. So two people, or two sets of people, both skeptical in some way, some with an unhealthy measure and others with at least a measure of skepticism that Jesus was able to say to them, you have little faith when he expected them to be of great faith. But the Pharisees and Sadducees, they came to Jesus to test him, asking for a sign from heaven, and perhaps you know this already, but the Pharisees, they had a very strict adherence to the law, and that strict adherence was mostly based on many traditions of the elders, and it often led them to hypocrisy, that they followed the law to the letter on the outside, but their hearts were far from God. And in Matthew chapter 15, which we read just last week, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me, and in vain they worship me. And these Pharisees and Sadducees were so hardened that they simply refused to accept that Jesus was the Messiah. And when things happened around Jesus that showed signs of him being the Messiah, they still did not want to believe it. Even when sinners repented, they couldn't rejoice. You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of man, Jesus said to them, but God knows your heart. And the Sadducees, they're the ones that denied the existence of spirits and the future resurrection. So automatically, they would dismiss any resurrection, even the resurrection of Jesus. And this was a test. It wasn't a sincere request for them to strengthen their faith. Because the thing is that if Jesus were to perform a sign in the heavens, then they would simply say, well, he had the power of the prince of demons. It wasn't from God. And then if he wouldn't perform a miracle, well, then they could justify the reason that they wouldn't believe in him. He wouldn't provide a miracle. And Jesus responded to them much like he had last time. If you've been following along in chapter 12, he said to them, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign. He responds by exposing their motives as being wicked and adulterous because they were able to read the signs of the weather. You know, I guess we can ask Bruno this. He's a meteorologist, right, Bruno? That certainly types of clouds, if you can identify them, and the direction that they're moving can tell you a lot about the weather to expect. Right? There you go, he's nodding. And humidity, like we're feeling today, is that sometimes we can, based on how much humidity, you can expect rain or not. And red skies at night indicate a high pressure system and dust in the air so that dry air is headed our way. That's how the meteorologists tell us that we're still gonna have lots of sunshine the next several days, which is only good, right? But Jesus rebukes them because they were able to read heavenly signs in the weather, but they were unable to read the heavenly signs that indicate he is God's Messiah. What were some of the signs that surrounded Jesus' ministry? Well, you had John the Baptist, and there were prophecies about a forerunner coming. And John the Baptist comes along and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And yet they rejected that Lamb of God. There were so many miracles that Jesus performed fulfilling the messianic promises. He exercised demons, he healed the sick, the lame and the blind, and he had just fed 5,000. We didn't cover this passage in, in Matthew chapter 15 about the 4,000 because, well, the account is almost very similar to what happened with the feeding of the 5,000, but with just a handful of loaves and fish, that many people could be fed, and the people had been waiting for a Messiah someone who could provide these things, to preach the gospel to the poor and proclaim freedom for the prisoners, sight and recovery for the blind to release them from the oppressed, just as Isaiah had promised. And Jesus had been doing that. And yet the Pharisees and Sadducees, they say, well, show us a sign. And the signs had already been shown. And so Jesus says, the only sign you're receiving 
is the sign of Jonah. Now, Jonah was in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. He was the sign to the Ninevites to demonstrate that God had sent him and had a message of repentance. And that very same sign of Jesus' resurrection would be sufficient evidence for all that he is the Son of God. And here's what I'm trying to get at, that the hardened skeptics will ask for proofs that they still do not intend to believe anyway. See, they say things like, well, if God would just write his name in the sky, then I would believe. But God knows that if he were to write his name in the sky, they'd say, oh, that's just clouds. Just like the rich man and Lazarus. Remember how the rich man who was not at Abraham's bosom was suffering? And he said to Abraham, please send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them. Well, they have Moses and the prophets, Abraham responded. No, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And Abraham said, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And friends, Jesus did rise from the dead. The sign of Jonah was given, and yet those around did not believe anyway. And even today, with the accurate record of his resurrection, people today will not believe that Jesus is God's Son. And after all, God's signature is written in all of his handiworks, in all of creation. Think of the ability of the earth as a planet to sustain life. You know, the probabilities are actually quite small. The window of us to survive on this planet is very small. The intelligent design that has gone into natural ecosystems and the animal kingdom, we can look at those and see that God's handiwork is in all of them. The information that's stored in our own DNA, it's not random. But Romans 1.20 says that since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Men continually deny that God exists. So God does not reward the demands of these hardened skeptics because the evidence of his existence will often be just dismissed by the skeptics because they have an existing bias against the supernatural. They have to come up with a natural explanation for the existence of everything because they have simply excluded the possibility of a supernatural reason for everything that is in existence. And the theory of evolution is this deliberate attempt to formulate such a natural explanation for the existence of the natural world. And that's why Romans 121 says, although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. God doesn't give them then a sign. He gives them over to their sinful desires and their shameful lusts, it says in Romans chapter 1. So the evidence for the existence of God may not evoke a faith in Him. If they look at the evidence, they should recognize that there is a creator, that there is something that is divine or uh, eternal. Okay, they might not accept that it's the God of the Bible just yet, but they still have to acknowledge that something divine with intelligence must have created it all. It points to a creator. Now, not until you read the Bible, then, can you understand a little bit more about this Creator and His specific purpose and plan for His creation. That comes after they first are willing to be open-minded enough to accept the fact that there is a supernatural Creator. I think it's ironic. They tell us Christians to be a little bit more open-minded, right? 
They tell us, oh, you believe in that there is a God and that Jesus is the only way. You should be a little bit more open-minded. How can you say there's only one way? But in fact, that the fact, but the fact that they are dismissing that the, exp the possible explanation for the existence of things as being a supernatural reason means that they're closed-minded or that Jesus could actually make the claim that he is God and sent by him. And they're excluding the fact that it's possible there is one faith that is the right faith. Say so they've dismissed the exclusivity of Christianity. So in fact, they're the ones that aren't open-minded. Because if we demand more proofs than those that are already provided to us, provided through history and archaeology, all of it's verifiable. If we demand more proofs, then we're like the hardened skeptics in Jesus' day. Just give me another sign. The Pharisees and Sadducees were like that. Hopefully, all of you are here today not because you, or because you are not one of those kinds of skeptics. Perhaps you're more like one of the disciples that we're, we're going to look at next. Because some people doubt God, not because they're a hardened skeptic, but because their faith isn't yet mature. So Jesus tells his disciples, be careful. Be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And the disciples had forgotten to bring bread when Jesus said this. And so they began to wonder, well, is he warning us about buying bread from them uh, because we're going to need some bread a little bit later and we shouldn't buy it from them? But Jesus says to them, you of little faith, because he had just performed a miracle that should be convincing enough to them that they will never be out of food. They will never have to question, will we have enough for the next lunch? Because even when there was just a little bit, Jesus fed 5,000 people, and then again he fed 4,000 people. In other words, Jesus had done something before them that should never cause them to doubt whether or not he could provide their lunch for them. So finally they understood, of course, after Jesus said to them, haven't you understood? How many basketfuls did you gather when I fed that many people? Then they finally understood that he was right, warning them of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The skepticism that they had was wrong. And it was dangerous because even a small dose of that kind of skepticism has the potential to permeate the whole soul, just like yeast does. So if that's more like you and I, where our faith simply isn't mature enough yet, then we need a faith in God that believes in what he's already able to do because of or what he's able to do because of what he's already done in our past. You know, we have the biblical record of how God has provided food in the desert for an entire nation for 40 years. And in those 40 years, God ensured that their clothing never wore out. Their entire time wandering through the desert, they always had enough to eat and their clothing never wore out. So we might find up ourselves up against some habit or an addiction that seems to be overpowering us. But the scriptures are clear that God has provided everything that we need for life and godliness. And he's raised us up from being dead in our trespasses and sins to being alive in Christ and seated in the heavenly places. Or we might find ourselves in a situation where we're just unable to see how will God provide for me and my needs in this situation? Well, again, we have the whole history of Israel and even perhaps in your own personal history how God has provided for you. Or you might face an illness that could lead to death. Well, has God not demonstrated his power over all kinds of sickness 
and even his power over death. So sometimes God does allow death to come upon his saints, but that's because he has something much better for us than just this life. So you and I, in our skepticism, we need to believe that God is able, as he says, to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. So what would God ask you? Just like he said to his disciples, don't you still understand? Don't you remember with the five loaves? Don't you remember the, the uh, seven loaves? What would he ask you? Would he say, don't you remember how you forgot your lunch one day and that was the very day your boss invited you to lunch? Or don't you remember how those hospital bills you had were all of a sudden mysteriously waived for you? Or would he have to ask you, well, remember the time I provided that job of your dreams when you were unemployed? In your own walk, maybe he, was, he would say to you, well, don't you remember that you made it through college those four years or those eight years that it took you to get through college when you were on such a low-paying job? What would he rebuke you for in your lack of faith? Would he, what would he point to in your history? Whatever it is that you're facing that's overwhelming. You know, it's interesting about faith because there's the faith that says, well, I know that God can, and then there's the faith that's willing to step out and say, based on what God has done, then I'm willing to take his word by faith. Maybe you know the story of uh, the tightrope walker, Blondin, or I guess in, he was French, so Blondin, I don't know. But he was famous because he crossed the Niagara Falls several times. He was a tightrope walker, and he was able to cross uh, the falls at least four times. He was able to do a backward somersault in the middle of one of his tightrope walks. He could take a chair to the middle of it and sit on it, balancing the chair on its two legs. He would go across on stilts. Um, he would walk across blindfolded, pushing a woman in a wheelbarrow. He would stand on his head in the middle of the tightrope. He could take a small stove halfway and sit down and cook himself an omelet and then eat it. Well, of course, there was a time when he was asking people, do you believe I can cross on this tightrope? And of course, there was a consent from everyone. Yes, of course we believe, we've seen you do it. And then of course he asked, well, who'd be the first one to get on my back and we cross, right? And no one wants to get on his back to cross, right? There's a sufficient skepticism there, and I would, would agree with you, even if we've seen him walk across several times, if it was your turn to go on his back and go across, I think you'd be a skeptic, I certainly would be as well but that's because he's only human. Well, I think that our faith in God is sometimes similar. We say we believe these things because we've seen and know that he can do these things. And when he's, when he's asking us to take that step of faith, we're like the, the crowd that says, well, it just won't be me that'll get on his back. So we've believed in Jesus for our salvation, and that's only possible if we know that God is at work in our lives, and we've experienced that life-changing power of his, so now we need to be able to believe that he can also work together all things for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Because see, there's times where we, we begin to doubt if that's really true. But he says he's able to work together all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So do you love God? If the answer is yes, then he's able to work things for good. Are you being obedient, though, to what he's called you to? Because if you love him and you're being obedient, then you can know that he can bring good even out of man's most evil deeds. 
or that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life? Can you cling to that? Because we need to believe in God's commandments that therefore are good to bless us. Do we believe that He's wiser than us? Do we know that, or do we believe that He knows the future? And He is, after all, the author of life, so wouldn't He be willing to reveal to us how we ought to live our lives? So let's watch out then for the bad theology that gives us a wrong view of who God is, who God is and His character. Let's not, that, let's, not the doubts, let's not let the doubts of the skeptics infect our faith. So, we have these two categories that we've seen today. Hopefully, you're not in the first of being a hardened skeptic. If you are, I pray that you would also be a little bit more open-minded and consider all of the facts and the claims of Jesus Christ. To let God work in your heart to show you who He is and to explain to you or to demonstrate to you that He loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. But my guess is most of you are simply here because you are believers and that every now and then you have certain doubts as to what He has commanded. Still demanding a proof that He is God and that He really means what He says and that He really can do what He says, and that's exactly what the spiritual journey is all about, is growing to believe that more and more each day. So what is He asking you today to, to do? Is He asking you, first of all, to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who died on the cross for your sins? Is He asking you to trust Him that the plans He has for you are only for your good? Or maybe there's a particular action you have to take today in obedience to His Word. And I know how sometimes we would just rather say, well, yeah, maybe, but uh, it's so hard to trust. Well, I close with a story. I don't think it's a true story, but it was about a man who fell off a cliff. And as he was falling, he managed to just grab onto a branch that was there um, on the side of the cliff. And then as he hung there, waiting to be rescued, he calls up saying, is anyone up there? And a voice from heaven said, I am up here. I am the Lord. Do you believe me? Yes, Lord, I believe, but I can't hang on much longer. And the voice said, that's all right. If you believe, then you have nothing to worry about. I will save you. Just let go of the branch. And then there was silence. And then he asked, is there anyone else up there? What is holding you back from all the blessing that God has in store for you? What is He asking you to let go of or perhaps to cling to? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, you are a good God and you've demonstrated again and again. And the more we read your word, the more we see your goodness. And the more that we see how much you love us and how much you have a wonderful plan for our lives. And yes, Lord, we know as well that you are a just and holy God. And you don't call us to live our lives our own way. You call us to live our lives your way because your way is good and in it we find pleasure and eternal life. And so our prayer today, Lord, would be that you would soften our hearts, open our minds to understand the truth of your word, that we would have no doubt that we would not be skeptics in regards to your truth and the word that you have proclaimed and the good news of Jesus Christ. Give us boldness, Lord, as well, because we will meet skeptics every day, those who simply will not believe that Jesus came as your Son, sent to die on the cross, that we might have eternal life. 
And we pray, Lord, that we would just continually be faithful to share that with others, even if they are hardened skeptics. We pray also, Lord, that in our own faith journey, that you would encourage us along the way. We know that we still need to take small steps, like your disciples did, but then they became champions of faith. Lord, let us become your role models to others that we might take great steps of faith and trust in you for everything so that we can see your goodness and your greatness in our lives. In Christ's name we pray, amen. This has been a presentation of First International Baptist Church of Copenhagen, Denmark. To listen to more sermon podcasts or to learn more about FIBC, please visit www.fibc.dk or facebook.com forward slash FIBC CPH. Thank you for listening.